The Night Owl Podcast, Episode 7, The Clay Pit, Part 2. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, please send an email to thenightowlpodcast at gmail.com. In this episode, I return to the clay pit, this time with clairvoyant friend Sarah, who validates some of the experiences told by the staff and patrons on episode 6, discovers a new spirit hiding in the upstairs room where a lot of activity is reported, and I get a shocking phone call from Sarah with some disturbing news by the end of it all. Stay tuned. If you're a fan of the show and are interested in getting access to exclusive extras behind each episode, consider helping us out by becoming a Night Owl patron. Visit patreon.com slash the Night Owl podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. How Patreon works is you set up a small repeating donation of your choosing. It can be as little as a dollar a month. It's basically a tip you're giving us for each episode. These contributions will help cover the cost of things like web hosting, editing software, equipment, and all the little things it takes to make this show happen. Patreon is safe, secure, and easy to use. You decide how much you'd like to give per episode, and if needed, you can easily cancel or suspend your contribution, hassle-free. In return for your support, we offer you exclusive access to deleted audio segments, follow-up interviews for past episodes, video walkthroughs of locations we investigate, my personal video diaries where I share secrets and personal thoughts about each episode, and a bunch of other really cool stuff. So go check out patreon.com slash the Night Owl podcast, and I hope you can join our Night Owl patron community. On January 18th, 2018, around 10.30 p.m., I'm standing outside the clay pit, waiting for Sarah to arrive. Alexis, the general manager, was kind enough to let us come after closing hours. The staff would be working till about 2 a.m., so Sarah and I had the place pretty much to ourselves for a good three hours or so. I was anxious to see what Sarah would make of this location. The story surrounding the clay pit seemed a bit less concrete and consistent than what I'd experienced at the tavern on my initial interviews and walkthrough there. Dredd talked of feeling the presence of a slave or African-American in the cellar and pointed out the hooks and loops that might have once been used to chain something or someone up. He also had an experience, much like Bali, one of the owners, at the downstairs bar where they discovered a unique polished rock throne at the bar. He also had the experience where he felt the child's spirit put its hands on his back to stop him from backing into the unseen entity. Bali told us of several instances that have happened during his 19 years in the building as well. His friend feeling the presence hold him down in the upstairs room, believed to be the room where Bertram's son passed away of illness. The rocks being thrown at the downstairs bar also. The alarm being set off, police arriving and saying that there was a boy spotted in the building and they needed to be let in. And then there was the woman breastfeeding in the upstairs room, reporting to hear a boy running around the upstairs. Diane from Haunted ATX reported feeling a cold spot in the very same room as well. And Mark from Haunted ATX, along with two servers at the clay pit, have experienced the name-calling and the light-touching believed to be coming from the so-called Scarlet Lady, who resides in the cellar and the top of the stairs to the main dining hall. There were so many little accounts, I just wasn't sure what to make of the place. It didn't have one consistent story, but many stories that sometimes link together in a small, unique way, like the rocks at the bar, and the calling out of the name, and the sightings of the little boy. But in all... It felt that the staff and those that had the experiences were all feeling like me, a bit confused and lost. So I was glad Sarah was on her way, 
and I was excited but unsure what would unfold during her first visit to this place. Hopefully you've been listening to the show a while now, so Sarah should need no introduction. But if for some reason you haven't heard our previous six episodes, which I strongly suggest you do, Sarah is an acquaintance of mine that I made five years ago. She claims to have the ability to sense, see, and communicate with spirits. However, she does not publicize this or use this gift for any monetary purposes. I most definitely am not paying her. I'm still trying to figure out how to cover my own expenses on this show. But she has a day job, is a wife mother of two, and soon-to-be grandma. I actually encourage all of you to still be on the fence on this and question things continuously throughout this show. That's what this show is all about. I like to be honest and upfront, so I do want to disclose a couple of things before we dive into this episode. When I began this show, I didn't intend to do these type of investigations. But since episode one took me in that direction without expecting it, It's been something that feels like it needs to be a part of this show. And since it was really unexpected, I didn't develop a code or set of rules on how to bring Sarah into these cases. And listeners are now pointing out things that I could improve on, and I'm excited to do it. I kind of got lucky with how Royal Legion Tattoo unfolded. I wasn't intending on trying to keep the location secret from Sarah, but it happened to be right by a coffee shop, so I decided to invite her to that first and not tell her anything about the tattoo shop. And then everything unfolded, and I was really impressed with what she was able to do with no information at all. So that really set the bar high for me. And after that point, I didn't really consider the importance of keeping that information secret from her because I trusted her. But now I realize I can't expect my listeners to do that because y'all can't really trust me either. Y'all don't know me. Uh, Y'all don't know my personality. Now there's a lot of friends and family that would vouch for me and say like, no, this is him. He's not lying to you. He's not being deceitful with this show, but you're not my family and you're not my friends. So what I need to do as a podcaster and a creator of a show I really care about, I need to start listening to my listeners and y'all have made some very valid points, which I'm excited about working on from this point on. Now with the tavern, Sarah, even with knowledge of the location, made impressive validations that she couldn't have known any other way. So that was still another way that she proved herself to me, even though she knew of the location prior to coming. But a few listeners have reached out already and asked if I could return to the practice of keeping Sarah in the dark about the locations again. Doing this would make her validations more credible if she didn't know the locations and couldn't do the research prior to going. I love this idea and we're going to be implementing this on every case from this point on. However, the clay pit was one of my earlier cases, so I want everyone to know that Sarah did know about this location beforehand. Actually, the way we got this case was Molly from the Tavern episodes offered a way of connecting me with the clay pit, and Sarah was there when this was brought up. So even if I had wanted to, I wouldn't have been able to keep this one secret from her. But upon hearing about the clay pit from Molly, Sarah informed me that it's actually a place that she's been to numerous times and had already seen stuff there. And it was apparently one of Renee's, her husband's, favorite places to eat. Anyway... In keeping with my goals for this show, to be straightforward and transparent with my listeners, I wanted you all to know that she was aware of this location beforehand, but we're excited about implementing the new change of keeping that info disclosed on future episodes for Sarah. Now, going into this, it's up to you to trust that she didn't do the research on this place before visiting. But what I also want you to try to consider is what I focus on and share with you. It's not just the validations she makes, but how she comes to them, the journey of her discovery process and also validations that she makes that are not reported anywhere in writing or online and that she would have no way of knowing about. There are a number of things like this that unfold during this case. 
some of which I'm very sad to report you will not get to hear until episode 8, The Clay Pit Part 3, but please stick with us because the validations are worth waiting for. Trust me. When Sarah first arrived, the staff were still cleaning up and a few customers were heading out the door. So I decided to sit us at the downstairs bar, let things calm down a bit, and hear what Sarah's first impressions were. So there's a lot of little tricks and stuff that I do to kind of visualize things and see. And I had, since I've already been here before, I already knew a lot of the, like, things that I had seen prior to. I was just trying to reconnect with what I had already seen and processed. So it's not, not much, because we really didn't go, when like, well, of course, we were eating, so we didn't walk around the room. Um, so there was multiple things that I, that kind of came to me. A lot of, um, there's a lot of movement uh, in the rooms. We, when we came to eat here, we were downstairs. But even upstairs, there's a lot of movement, a lot of traffic, I should say. Uh, people moving in and out, kind of hustling around. Uh, but mostly there's, I'm not quite sure uh, how to explain that I'm seeing like a tunnel, like a, a passageway or a pathway, almost like it's connecting other places in the city. Um, uh, I'm seeing that a lot really clearly, and I don't know what it means just yet. I don't know what that means. Um, and I'm getting a lot of like people carrying stuff like boxes or um, boxes with bottles in them or um, uh, just kind of people moving back and forth, but nothing that's like, hey, look at me. There's nothing uh, specific. I, I, don't, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's almost like everybody's like kind of coming here, but they're coming here to like move somewhere else, like a junction point. And it's like I can feel it even from outside. When you're when I was walking up, I could kind of feel like there's motion or back and forth movement. So it's really weird. I don't know why that's happening. But everything I'm getting is kind of like uh, uh, almost like prohibition-esque or somewhere around in that timeline. But it's a lot of uh, people, different types of people. I don't know. So it's the tunnel that I'm, I'm really kind of focusing on. And then a ladder, I wanted to look and see if there's like a ladder. Like I'm seeing like a ladder, like I'm going up somewhere. Um, I don't like I'm, I'm crawling up somewhere or I'm catching something that's coming back down. Uh, kind of um, like I want to pick something up and then get to the ladder or push it open and open the ladder. So I'm getting a lot of that. Um, and I don't know what that means. That's what I got for the, from the meditation in here. I'm just getting a lot of traffic, but I can hear all the noise, so it's kind of interfering with me um, being able to focus. So pretty quickly, she was already mentioning a tunnel, and it was still loud, and there was still a lot of people cleaning up and moving things around, so I decided to step outside with her just to see if she could pick up anything from out there. Ooh. It's chilly. I know. It's very chilly. Um... Let's walk around. Well, you came from this way. I came from this. Anything way. at all? See, it's like traffic. It's like a, they're like uh, walking in and out of the building, like coming in and out of the building. That's really weird. Like I don't here? understand that. Yeah, it's kind of like like trying to get to that tunnel. It's really weird. Um, so I don't know the significance of the tunnel, but we'll see. So the area that Sarah's pointing out to me right now is the actual front of the building 
And if you look in the old photographs, you can actually see it's where the balcony used to be and where the people are standing in front of the building, posing in some of the older photographs I post on the blog that I got from the Austin History Center. I want everyone to understand where this location is and where she's seeing people trying to access the tunnel because it'll be relevant later when we make another discovery. So just make a mental note that Sarah, upon first getting to the clay pit, even when she parked her car and started walking in, noticed spirits or energy moving into the building from that area. So we start making our way back into the building and I notice Sarah stop in front of one of the main windows along the Guadalupe side entrance of the building. She spots a mirror in the main dining hall that piques her interest. Oh, that's a mirror. That's not good. Okay. What's well, a mirror? There's a mirror in there. That's what I'm looking at, right? Where? So oh, yeah, at? yeah, yeah. I see it. I thought that was a doorway. Oh, no, no. It's a mirror. It's a very used mirror. Okay. What is that? What are you seeing? Mirrors, to me, are really, especially if you're seeing images in mirrors, they're very, uh, it's, sometimes they trap spirits in there. Um, and it's, it's give or take, could be good or bad, but I don't, I'm not comfortable with them, and especially something that big in an area where there's a lot of people, it'll absorb a lot of energy. We didn't know it at this time. But these mirrors would come into play tonight, and there was a reason that Sarah's attention was being drawn to them. As this investigation progresses, you'll see that the encounters with the mirrors throughout this building continue to bother Sarah. What's old? Can we go back to the dining area? Yep. Upon re-entering the building, Sarah saw something and really wanted to go into the wine room, which is a room on the eastern side of the building, uh, not where a lot of activities commonly reported. It's on the side of the building that is away from the main dining hall and also the main downstairs bar and also the stairways. It's just to the east of that. They left their mirrors here. Let's make a note what's right here. Okay. Where are we? First side. You know what I'm seeing? What are you seeing? Feet. Feet? Like on the floor here? Feet like hanging from the ceiling. Really? We both really didn't know what to make of this at the moment. This wasn't a common report or anything, so we were pondering it for a bit, but then Sarah was distracted by the urge to find a sort of door in the floor is what she kept seeing. So she started looking for it. Like there's the door in the floor, and the uh, door in the floor somewhere. She walked out of the wine room, and I followed her down the hallway, kind of back towards the other back room on the eastern side of the building, and also near the downstairs bar. Well, there's the stairwell here, obviously. Which mm, go? No. It's over here. No, that's not it. it. It's like over here. It's like, like somewhere right here. Let's see. We weren't able to find it at this moment, but we'll circle back on this because Sarah and I actually make a very interesting discovery about this later. The feet thing is really strange. Well, we can go upstairs, yes? Yeah. Oh, these mirrors are killing me. These people are going to kill me with these things. We made it to the upstairs Bertram Hall where there was a second bar on the second floor, and it had three large mirrors behind it, which were bothering Sarah. There are a lot of them. So they're not taking any notice of me. That's what's kind of freaking me out. It's like they're on their own zone. I don't like these mirrors. Because there is nothing behind you. Except in there. A 
Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's um, when they have um, people. Uh, I think if this is full, I'm guessing there'll be pictures of other people nobody knows inside of their, like people inside their pictures. They like it when there's people here. The noise. It's almost like um, it. It gives them the energy that they need to kind of stick around. And uh, it's so weird. I've never had that where they just walk by me like I'm not even here. There is a lot of people here. That's the scary part. Why is there so many people in this place? There's a lot. There's quite a bit. For I'm looking for uh, maybe like loop, you know, people that'll come back in a loop or something, and it's it's not happening yet. The interesting thing is, though, is while I'm talking to you, there's other uh, not people. I don't know what they are. Um, shadows or something in the mirrors looking at us. Sarah's informing me for the first time that she's seeing shadow figures in the mirrors. And that's what's been bothering her. They appear to notice us, but she can only see them in the mirrors. She cannot see them when she looks behind me or in the room that we're standing in. But they're not out here. But they're there. that's the only thing that's acknowledging the fact that we're standing here. I know I don't like mirrors. Can you tell me who you are, maybe? Why you're watching everyone? I tried taking a few pictures on my phone, as you heard, but I wasn't able to get anything on them. Sarah went on to explain what she was seeing on the second floor main room. It's a room that the clay pit uses for large parties and for events. There's music, there's dancing, there's movement, there's these things that look really strange, and a very urgent signal from Renee's double walker. Really? Not to go. Okay, fine. I'm going to go downstairs. Okay, I will listen. So you might have just heard something you weren't too sure about. Um, Sarah mentioned she saw Renee's double walker and that he was warning her to go downstairs and to get away from this room. This entity or this spirit is something that Sarah has told me about for many years uh, when I first met her five years ago and she was unsure about her gift and her abilities she mentioned seeing this spirit constantly Uh, now she's come to learn that this spirit is sort of a helper or a guide and the reason she calls it or him Renee's double walker it's because he looks extremely similar to her husband and at this moment he currently showed up and he usually only shows up when things aren't going well or there's something that might be putting Sarah in danger. So we're making our way back downstairs, but I'd like to point out some things. Like in the tavern, the things I look at and I consider while we're going on these investigations, knowing that Sarah knew the location previously, I mean, it's totally plausible that she could look this information up. But what I am noticing on each case that we go on, including this one, is that The stuff she starts to get immediately is unclear and it always is something kind of different than what is typically talked about in the online stories and articles revolving around the locations that we're visiting at the moment. So in this particular case with the clay pit, if you look up any research, the common things you'll find about the hauntings or the stories surrounding this place are the little boy who is believed to be Bertram's son who died of either typhoid or diphtheria. Then you've got the scarlet lady in the cellar who is believed to have been a prostitute or madam who was killed or murdered. Then you have the phantom name calling and touching and also some of the phantom smells throughout the building as well. There's definitely a lot of information about the tunnels in these articles so that's something that I wasn't as impressed with just the fact that she brought that up but what I end up being impressed with is 
the details in which she gives me about these tunnels later that coincide and get validated by other things we find in our research. Sarah so far has noticed the tunnel, people carrying boxes going in and out the building. She's also been noticing these mirrors and shadow figures in the mirrors. She's pointed out the party scene upstairs that seems to be on a loop. But then she's also noticing feet hanging from the ceiling in the wine room. But now that we get to the main dining hall floor, she now sees feet there too. It's so weird. It's like there's feet hanging from the ceiling. Are they moving? Yeah, it's so weird. I don't know what that means. And they're like boots and shoes and bare feet. It's like they were walking around upstairs. It's so strange. It's so strange. Um, I'm going to... You want to go down? For the first time all night, Sarah kind of notices the cellar. Her attention's drawn there while she's looking at these feet on the ceiling, and she kind of points in that direction. So I offer if she wants to go down. I'm too tall. Tunnel. Where does that ladder go? Right up to the bottom. That's what I was looking for. There's a ladder that goes from the cellar up behind the bar on the first floor. It's an area that we actually couldn't see or access while we were on the first floor, but this is the door in the floor that we were looking for earlier. Sarah was really adamant that she could sense this door, and when I pointed to the cellar stairs, assuming that was the doorway or the opening to the cellar, she said, no, there's something else. And sure enough, this ladder goes right directly up to the first floor bar, but it wasn't an area where we couldn't see it. So Alexis had to take us there and show us it. So you're coming over here looking for that door, right? Yeah, I know. I think it's over here. Where's where's that door that goes down there? You don't have to open it. Don't worry about it. It's a small validation, but it's a validation nonetheless. This was something I was not expecting. It wasn't part of the ghost stories, but it's just a little thing that gave me another scratch on the head about her ability. I mean, when you see something like this, she was looking for this door for quite a while and adamant that it was in the building and we never could find it. Or when we went to go take a look at it, it's not in a place where patrons or customers can see it. So even if Sarah had been to this, restaurant numerous times, it's only accessible really by the bartenders. You wouldn't really know it's there or have any knowledge of it unless you work there or kind of specifically ask the staff about it, like we did. But with this validated, we wanted to get back down to the cellar. And when we did, Sarah was already reporting what she was seeing. There are, see the boxes, they come down here, someone takes them, and they run them. They run them through this wall. They run them through the wall. It is the strangest thing. It's like one person's giving them the box, this one's catching, someone else is getting it, and then they're like going through the wall. Alexis, the general manager of the clay pit, was with us at the time, and she chimed in with a bit of information. You can see that this is a window that has been cemented off. That used to be ground level. They would use it to drop like rice and beans, like sacks of food, because it used to be a general store. I don't understand the urgency to get the box down and out. This was like, I have to get it and move quickly. Like they were hiding it. That's what I'm getting. It's like they're taking the box and running through the wall, going through the walls. So I don't know why they're doing that. I think it's like a beer run. There's out, there's bottles in the boxes. There's like a glass or jars. So, but the energy here is very good. It's positive. It's not like, it's just, they're just working. That's all they're doing. They're just doing their work. 
I don't know if you noticed that, but this is just one of many things that I notice when I'm on the case with Sarah. Do you notice how she's talking about things coming down into the building and getting carried off into the tunnels? And when Alexis validates, yes, this used to be a grocery store and they would carry sacks down here and groceries, Sarah just literally says, no, no, this is something else. It's boxes with bottles and they have a sense of urgency like they need to get it in and out quickly so it doesn't feel like groceries to her. Well, if you're trying to (laughs) make this up and you're not really seeing what you're seeing, someone who wants to pull off some stunt like this is going to not argue with validation like that. That actually would be really stupid. I mean, think about it like a game of basketball. You want to have as many points as possible, and that right there was a free point given to you, and you just threw it away. So that's just like one example of many things that I catch on an investigation with her that make me gain a little bit more trust in her ability. The tough thing about the clay pit is that no one really has hard evidence about the brothels and the tunnels and the saloons. It's a similar frustration I had with the tavern. But what Sarah was saying now was bringing to mind a couple of things One, Mark from Haunted ATX and a few of the other staff were mentioning that the state treasury was once held in this cellar and sometimes theorized that it was transported via tunnel to another building. But then there's also the talks of it being a brothel. So when she said boxes of bottles and men carrying things, it also brought that to mind as well. But this place was once a grocery store as well. So there's lots of theories that you can toss out here about what she's seeing at the moment. However, one thing to note is that Sarah was actually pointing to a wall that I was wasn't aware was a tunnel. Mark and I, on our first visit to the clay pit, when I got my interviews, we went to near the cellar stairs where that shelf is, and I moved it away, and that was an archway. You can tell it's like a big doorway that's been bricked up, but the wall that Sarah was pointing to, I didn't see any archways. Um, It was just an entire wall bricked up, and it was a huge wall. It was the main wall you see straight ahead when you come down those cellar stairs. Lots of, it's still lots of movement, but there's more men. There's more men here. More, lots of men, maybe a couple women. Not as active as uh, upstairs. Not like upstairs. Different. It's actually even a different uh, feeling. Totally different than what it is upstairs. Upstairs is very um, oppressive or um, almost forced, like like it's a lie. Like what I'm seeing is not real. That's why I think it's really strange that it's, they're, they're not interacting with me. Very unusual. The ones up there are not interacting with me at all. It's almost like they're just blowing by me. It's really weird, except for those things in the mirror. Again, I want you to pay close attention to the process and what's going on as Sarah is getting this information. We've been here for a little over an hour already, and still there hasn't been mention of a little boy, no mention of a woman, and the things she's getting are things that are accurate with what the place used to be based on testimony and historical research. But we still haven't had any validation yet for any of the experiences that we heard in episode 6, The Clay Pit Part 1. So I was interested to see if something would develop soon. And it actually was about to happen. There's this occasional woman that's floating through here. Um, and I'm not quite, she's not interacting with me either. She's just kind of like looking. She's acknowledging me, which is good. The other ones won't even do that. So she's not acknowledging on there, but she's not ready to talk to me yet. She's just kind of floating by me. So this was interesting. This is the first entity that she's really pointing out that seems to be an intelligent spirit. Intelligent spirits have the ability to interact with the living. Uh, They know we're here, they see us, and they also sometimes try to communicate with us. The opposite of intelligent entities are residual hauntings or spirits. These are more like residual stamps 
stamps or imprints of energy or people or events that occurred in a certain place in time. A lot of times it's theorized that they occur in loops and repeat themselves. And I believe that is what Sarah is seeing when she's seeing the men working and carrying the boxes down in the cellar and also the party scene upstairs on the second floor. However, this new spirit of the woman seems to be different. And I'm wondering if this might be what patrons and staff are referring to as the Scarlet Lady. Sarah wanted to sit down a bit and see if we could get more from her. And so I've got the outline of the woman, but she's still kind of uh, fuzzy. She likes to touch the people that come down here to eat. Is she, is she coming to you more? She's just kind of showing me stuff like she's leaning in to grab somebody's hair or... Um, uh, she's attracted to the jewelry. I think that's because I was playing with mine. So she's like, what is that? Um, so she does like messing with the patrons down here. But it's not anything. She's entertaining herself, I guess. That's all. Let's see if I can get a name. Okay, no. She doesn't want to talk now. Okay, it's all right. I'll go back to doing what you're doing. And these guys are just working, so I'm good with these guys. They like to work, to run stuff back and forth, do their thing. That's cool. It's like they're stuck in a... It's really weird. As we're leaving the cellar, Sarah got one last thing from the woman. April. April. Her name is April. April? Yeah. Why do they always tell you when you're leaving? I don't know. Maybe because I'm not really paying attention to them. She doesn't want me to go there either. April doesn't? I go around anyway. She's she's not going to go past that point. But she came up here, though? Yeah. I think she came up there to stop me from looking into the mirror. It's one of those things. Why are no one conceiving? Who's telling you that? Renee Silverwalker. Sarah was still having issues with the mirrors and seeing these shadow figures. She was also noticing some sort of strange energy pattern flowing out of the mirrors and going up through the ceilings and through some of the walls. You know how when you're staring at the street and the street's hot and you get this really weird, like, that's what it looks like. And it's just going up into the ceiling. Alexis, what's right above here, above the mirror, do you know? The bar. The upstairs bar. This is where the other mirrors are, the three of them. And I know because it, they're the same, it's the same wave going this way. And then there's another one going through the wall this way, which I think is the other mirror on that side. So this was also interesting now. She is seeing the shadow figures in all of the mirrors. There's three main ones. One in the wine room, one in the main dining hall, which is the one we're staring at now, and then the one directly above us on the second floor bar. Now, I'm not an expert, and of course this is all theory, but I have read and heard about mirrors being portals for the afterlife. There's also a lot of superstition and theory about mirrors trapping spirits. But one question that was coming to mind was, are these mirrors a way for these spirits to travel throughout the building? Are they using the mirrors to go from one floor to the next? I was interested to see if this would develop any further tonight. And also if we'd get any answers for what these shadow figures were. These weren't really ever reported, and they're not in any of the online articles about the clay pit at all. So I was hoping we might come to some sort of answer before the end of the night. We were still sitting by the big mirror in the main dining hall down on the first floor when Sarah started to pick up on some other things. Is there a fire in here? Big fire? Like a... I don't know. I haven't done all my research yet. Um... And it would have been during some weird time, like because there's there's uh, children big enough to maybe injure a few people. Maybe they died of smoke inhalation or a lot of <sighs> lots of coughing. Were you shown any smoke or fire or anything? Or it's more like a like the cloud, like this cloud of smoke, not the fire itself. But I'm thinking is well, what else would cause something like that? It's just either smoke 
uh, or somebody smoking, but I don't think it's that. It's a darker cloud. It's very thick. It's very like, uh, I can't breathe. I hadn't heard of a fire at all, and this was news to me, so I was going to have to research it. But just then, Sarah reacted to something. She turned around quickly and looked back towards the bar. I don't know if that's from, I guess that's from them talking. What did you hear? I heard my name. You heard your name? But I, I think it's just them talking. We'll wait until it gets quiet. Okay. I swear, I swear to God, that was my name. And this was another validation for experiences that patrons and staff have had in the cellar and on the first floor dining area, which is where we were now. Immediately following this incident, the spirit of the woman Sarah was claiming to see and who called herself April started to come through and talk to Sarah more. But you'll soon see she's interrupted by a new spirit. It's just the, like, just, she's just got this really simple, (laughs) she knows I'm talking about her, just very simple kind of, um, triangular-shaped dress. It's short. So I guess where her feet would be, there's nothing. Right now it's just kind of floaty. She's very thin. Thin-framed. There's like a pattern in the skirt. And if she would let me see her face, it would be fantastic, but she doesn't. But the shirts are thin. There's like some design in there. that she did herself, just so you know. This was something she designed. There's like a little design on the collar. And do you any idea why she's here? No. See, now I'm getting that kid again. Prior to this, Sarah had mentioned spotting what she thought was a kid or a boy running around the main dining hall. The kid with the coughing. He's wearing one of those tripped out little hats. Has a little thing on the top. Like the little baseball, old baseball type hats. Um, but he's very... Five, six, maybe. Where are you seeing him? Is he around anywhere? He's just running around in here. He'll go like this, come up here where we are, and then go back over there. So I was excited that Sarah was getting some validation on some of these entities that match some of the stories coming from the Clay Pit staff and patrons. However, each time she would start to get information, she would get distracted by the shadows in the mirrors. I don't know what these are. I'm not... I'm going to have to do some more reading. These shadows? Yeah, I don't know what they are. It's like they're not people. Not really. Are you only seeing them in the mirrors? I'm only seeing them in the mirrors. But there's multiple. There's so those these are two. I don't I don't know if they're the same ones just traveling from mirror to mirror or if they're different. I can't tell tell them apart. There's nothing distinctive. The upstairs mirrors are a little different though, so let's So we ventured back upstairs to get another look at the mirrors behind the bar upstairs and also see if we could focus in and pay attention to that party scene that was sort of on a loop that I believe to be was a residual stamp. But when we got upstairs, Sarah started to see another spirit. Not a man, like almost like a teenager. Really? Here in this area? He's hiding from, but he's hiding from something. He's saying what I'm seeing is not real, it's not... It's not it. It's not. It's a lie. Which makes sense. That's why they don't acknowledge me. But I don't know why those shadows in the mirrors, there's a lot of them now. They're they're scattered in between the people. Like, there's like six, maybe seven. 
We wanted to move away from the bar, so we pushed back toward the front end of the building on the upstairs floor, which was near a room they call the Bombay Room. This is a room that is commonly reported to have experiences in episode 6. If you recall, Bali had talked about this room several times. This is where the chef had had the feeling of someone holding him down. This is also the same room that is believed to be where Bertram's son had passed away, and where the woman from Bali's story, who was breastfeeding in the room, had heard a young child running around in the upstairs area and around that room. We sat down at a table just outside this room and Sarah pulled out her sketch pad and started to draw while she was getting a reading from this new teenager spirit. There's no one out here if you want to come talk to me. You don't have to loom. You can talk to me or you can talk into the microphone. Who's going to hurt you? There's nobody here. The shadows are gone. Can you give me the rest of your name? Okay, uh, those things are keeping them from talking to me. Stead, Steadman, he's African-American. Jeez, he's a worker, he used to work here. No, they're not there yet. Keep going. Tell me what you need. The tunnels, okay. There's an accident. No, not an accident. Lost, it was lost, lost, shipment, lost... What was lost? Can you tell me? The box was, the box was lost. Okay, the box was lost. Who's the keeper? Do you know what his name was? What is the keeper's name? He's, he's gone. All right, so it sounds like this is Stedman, African-American. He worked here. He lost something. He lost either a box, a shipment, some kind of an accident. And he was punished for it by the keeper. Keeper's what I understood. He was apparently very large man. The keeper or Stedman? The keeper. Stedman is a teenager and is really skinny. But he keeps everything up here. Everything on top. Everything is kept by the keeper. And every time those things come back, he disappears again. What was the keeper's name, Stedman? At that moment, Alexis, the general manager, had walked into the room and Sarah was addressing her because Stedman apparently recognized her. That's just Alexis. No, she doesn't get scared. She likes this stuff. Apparently this keeper person was very cruel. Boxes, lost stuff. Yes, I know. You lost a box. It's the same thing. Box, lost, keeper. Lots of fear. That's all I'm getting. Same things over and over again. Stedman showing you that? Yeah. And the tunnels. There's lots of references to the tunnels. I feel like it was like a, maybe also a way to escape or it's like a way out. It's, it's strange, the references to the, to the tunnel, a lot of them. Um, that's all I'm getting. The keeper was apparently very fat and mean. And, I mean, wrong word, cruel, I'm sorry. The word is cruel. We all started to head back towards the stairwell to go back downstairs and Alexis stopped Sarah and asked her if Stedman had mentioned that she was scared because of what she heard Sarah saying to Stedman when she walked in the door. You can barely hear her ask the question. Did Stedman tell you I was scared? Yes. <laughs> can okay. I tell you why he might think that? What? So I, when I close, like, this is how it is, minus you two, like, just me by myself. So I have to go and, like, turn off the lights and check the door. But the door and the light are, like, on two set. Like, you saw where the light was, like, how 
hard it is to maneuver, I literally like run as fast as I can out of there and shut the door so he knows I'm scared. Sarah wanted to stop now and watch the loop one more time before we headed downstairs. There he goes. Who is it? A very large, round man. Sarah was watching this so-called party loop happen over and over again, and in this particular time, she saw the keeper, which was apparently a very large, round, chubby man who would walk from the far end of the room toward us and then stop. But Sarah noted that he didn't appear to notice her or me, and it looked like he might have been part of the loop. We headed downstairs so Sarah could contemplate what all she had experienced. About two and a half hours had already passed, and she was looking a little tired. I don't know, we can't put it all together. It's kind of like April knows Stedman. She knows the keeper. She doesn't know the kid. She likes to mess with the patrons, though. That's She likes to do that. And sometimes the wait staff. She's afraid to go upstairs, so she stays down here. She doesn't go past the mirrors. Neither does the kid. That kid does run around, but he doesn't run around like... I think if somebody were to see them, they would see him like out of the corner of the eye, like a little kid kind of just flying by. And Stedman hides upstairs in that room. Sarah's referring to the Bombay room. It's like all the people, like all the people that were up there, it's like they're not... Um, it's like it's not real. Like not... And I keep saying that, but I... I can't explain it to you better. It's like they're, when you see it, it happens the same way, the exact same way every time. You know, one will laugh, one will dance, one will do something, they'll move in and out, and then you wait a little bit, and it does it again. And when you look at them in the mirror, those shadow figures are in the room in different positions. But when you see it, they're not there. And this one man, when he, as soon as he walked in, everything stopped. It was like... They all just waited to see where he was going to go. And then once he passed by, then everything started again. Laugh, a walk. It's like a, a repeat and wash cycle. Then he walks through, and then it does it again. I don't know. I don't know. Very strange. Very, very strange. And Stedman just hides. It's like he doesn't want to get caught in that loop, almost. Or like he doesn't want someone to see him. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning when we realized that only Alexis, the general manager, was with us and all the staff had already gone home, so I knew we needed to call it quits soon. Alexis was going to have to go upstairs and turn off all those lights again, so I offered to help her since I know it might be a little eerie since we'd been talking about the ghosts and the stories surrounding the building. When we finished and came back down, we noticed Sarah was acting a little strange. How you doing? You getting anything else? Someone's calling my name. Remember I told you that somebody said my name earlier? Oh, really? That's how I was like... Right here? You heard it? Yeah, it's really weird. So I just walked over here. I was like, I know they're upstairs. What kind of a voice is calling your name? Do you know? It's a woman's voice. Leaving the clay pit that night, I wanted to assess what we all had experienced. Let's look at a couple things that she could not have researched or known prior to coming this night. 
There were two instances that stood out to me. One was the door in the floor that she was constantly looking for. I didn't play all the audio for you because it would just eat up too much time, but we spent a good 10 minutes looking for this door. It's not a very common thing to have, actually, and it's in an odd place in the building, so for her to be looking in that area, being pretty adamant about there being a door in the floor, but it must be covered up, I was really quite pleased with finding this, and I wanted to include it in this episode. It may seem small, but it's really kind of a big deal in validating her ability. That wasn't anything that we were expecting to look for or even heard in any of the stories, so I felt like it was kind of special. The other small thing that happened was when Sarah was having a conversation up in the Bombay room with Stedman, and she kind of casually just joked about, oh, it's just Alexis, and that she wasn't afraid and she liked this kind of stuff. Turns out that Alexis is actually really afraid of the Bombay room when she closes at night, and she mentioned to Sarah and I that she actually has to flip the light off, then run out the door every night she closes. So... It was something that Stedman was saying, like he knows that she's afraid, but Sarah was trying to say, oh no, she's not, but he had in fact seen her being afraid in that specific room. That was an interesting personal validation for Alexis. Then let's look at the things that she validated that she could have looked up online. And for the skeptics out there, you might just toss these out, and for those that are on the fence or strong believers in the paranormal, you might really take these in. I always challenge everyone to listen to the episode with this in mind. You're missing almost half of the journey because I'm, I'm trimming these things down so much, but it takes her so long just to get to where we are. So you're missing the whole first hour, hour and a half of her combing through these things and really never really hitting those marks or finding these validating points. Similar to other investigations, I noticed that she arrives and really doesn't hit any of the marks that you would expect her to hit if she was trying to pull off some sort of validating psychic hoax. She was getting the feet in the ceiling, the shadows in the mirrors, the men working down in the cellar carrying boxes through the tunnels, and then there's the party scene that was in a loop up on the second floor. It wasn't until about an hour or an hour and a half into the investigation that she caught on to a woman spirit down in the cellar, which was our real first hit, actually, other than the mention of the tunnel. In my opinion, if you're going to be pulling off some sort of psychic validation stunt, you're not going to linger on and on for hours hitting the wrong targets. So I feel like there is some validation in that fact alone. But I always stand on that fence and I don't take everything that happens that she could have researched to heart right away. I'm there for the full journey. You obviously don't get to see it all. So I get to see how this stuff looks in person, how she's reacting to these things and talking to these things. And I wish I could show you that, but we want to respect Sarah's wishes to remain anonymous. As usual, when I got home, I couldn't stop thinking about this location, and I knew that we were probably going to have to return. But what I didn't know or expect was that I'd be getting a phone call from Sarah with some disturbing news. I figured out what those shadows were for. They are not actually associated with the clay pit, which is really a, a good and a bad thing, I guess, for me and my, and my theory. Those shadows, if you will, are like almost little death omens, if you want to call them that. They warn you if you've been around people who have passed recently or if something may happen to you uh, close by. And I figured out what they were because I just found out that before I went down to the clay pit, I actually had a heart attack. Wait, what? Yeah. 
Sarah went on to tell me about how she had not been feeling well, and one day shortly after our investigation, she had to go see a doctor, and that's when they informed her it appeared that she had had a minor heart attack. They had to run some tests to be certain, but when the results came back, they were positive. She had, in fact, had a heart attack. We stayed in touch while Sarah took time off work to rest and regain her strength, but I didn't want to push her about coming back to the clay pit because I wasn't sure when she'd be ready. But she actually called me one day and told me she felt like she hadn't had enough time there and she wanted to get back soon. Okay, so I'd, I'd really like to go back and sit down, sit down and chit-chat with them. Okay. In episode eight, the final concluding episode in this series, Sarah and I return to the clay pit for two more thorough investigations. Sarah pushes the spirits to give her more answers, while I start connecting the dots to this new mystery through research and more interviews. I discover a secret about the tunnel in the cellar that coincides with Sarah's visions. Sarah gets a name for the little boy spirit that shocks me with the knowledge I have from my research, and I make a startling new discovery regarding the fire that Sarah keeps having visions of in the building. Sarah also faces the mirrors once more to see if the shadows will still be there. And then she discovers a new intelligent spirit who's been hiding from her upstairs. A spirit that evokes fear in both Stedman and April and may be connected to their deaths. And I myself witnessed something that I can't explain for the very first time with my own eyes. Tune in on May 28th for the Clay Pit's shocking conclusion. Remember to visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Podcast and consider becoming a Night Owl patron. A special thank you goes out there to all my current patrons. Your recurring monthly contributions help keep the show going and improving. Don't forget to check out all the exclusive extra content on our Patreon page that only you as a patron have access to. I'll actually be uploading a video walkthrough of the Clay Pit and some really cool new content from Royal Legion Tattoo and The Tavern, so be sure to go check out the page. I want to thank my two wonderfully talented musician friends, Nicholas Fair and P.D. Wilder, for providing the music for the show. Please show your support for their amazing work by visiting their websites. Links to them can be found at thenightoutpodcast.com under our credits page. One more thing. I'd also like to thank Haunted ATX for sharing their stories with me. If you'd like to tour the Clay Pit, make sure to visit their website and book a ghost tour today. Visit hauntedatx.com. Thanks for listening to Episode 7 of the Night Owl Podcast. If you're not already, find us and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here I post a lot about upcoming episodes, and you get sneak peeks and behind-the-scenes photographs of each location. And as always, make sure to go to our website, thenightowlpodcast.com. Here you can access our blog, which has a ton of behind-the-scenes information and photographs from each episode. Stay restless out there, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.